Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today has suffered from chronic migraines and began using cannabis medicinally back in 2016, particularly strains high in CBG, finding immediate relief. Cannabis allowed her to stop taking a cocktail of prescription medications and returned her to a normal life. Shortly thereafter, her, she, and her husband founded Astor Farms in Northern California, based on the belief that in cannabis as a medicine. Their focus as a company as a company is to curate craft cannabis products and cultivated in an environmentally environmentally and community sustainable manner. Julia Jacobson, CEO of Astro Farms, welcome and thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you for having me today. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before you got into the cannabis industry? Sure. So I started my career as a buyer for Bloomingdale's. So had that traditional retail experience. And after about four years, I started to see areas that could improve in the industry. And so I left and started my first entrepreneurial venture. It was a tech startup that I ran for about five and a half years. And during that time, I started to develop really bad chronic migraines. Um, And that is part of what led me to cannabis. Had you been, had you tried cannabis before this? Absolutely. I have been a recreational user. Um, I have been a recreational user for a couple decades now, but never in my life did I think to light up a joint in the middle of a migraine attack. Right. And and then let's talk about this because, I mean, I'm sure it was a trial and error thing that brought you to CBG-laden plants, and they're hard to come by these days, and, and formulations that include CBG. So what took you down the path of, of fine-tuning your own medication? You know, I, it's something that I learned from the lack of support that I got in the traditional medical community. You know, chronic migraines are not something that there has been an actual medicine for until very recently, and it's still very experimental. So when you're dealing with this kind of condition, you are really on your own. You're left to figure things out on your own. So even when I was doing that within the Western traditional medical world, I was figuring it out myself. So when it came to using cannabis, again, it was just about trial and error and starting to, you know, keep journals and write things down and make sure I was picking up the trends that I was seeing in my own body. Um, We had been, we have a a strain high in CBG called white buffalo, and I loved it because it was just a great strain. It had great effects. Um, And one of the times that I had a migraine, that's just what I had available, and I tried it. And it was unbelievable relief compared to anything that I had tried before. Very interesting. Is that that a cultivar that's, that's kind of closely linked to like the white rhino thing, or is it not the two separate cultivars? Um, I believe it does have some white rhino in it. I can look up the exact lineage for you if you'd like. I can get back no, to that's one. Okay. Okay. Um, but this particular strain that's been bred is really high in CBG. And so what that's doing is relieving ocular pressure. And so, you know, not all migraines have ocular pressure, but a lot of the ones that I do have that pain almost feels like a mask around your eyes and your face. And so CBG helps open up those blood vessels and relieve the pressure. Um, so we've also heard anecdotally from consumers who have bought our white buffalo that they 
if they have glaucoma, it's helped them a lot as well. So it's really interesting to both hear from our consumers how they're using our strains medicinally and then to kind of match that back to my own personal experience. Your your husband's family has had a really interesting legacy in the cannabis industry. Can you share a little bit about his story? Absolutely. So his grandfather moved the family to Mendocino, California in the 60s and started living on an off-the-grid sustainable ranch where they grew their own food and lived off the land. And part of that was growing cannabis. Uh, So they have been growing cannabis for over 50 years in the family, um, three generations now. And his grandfather was actually the first person to go to prison for cultivating cannabis in the Mendocino um, County. So, and legend has it, we have not confirmed this detail yet. Legend has it his family and the the neighbors up on Signal Ridge brought the first indica seeds to California. So we are in the process of investigating that. That's pretty wild. But they were growing back in the day, were they growing for, I shouldn't say distribution, or were they just growing for themselves? It was a whole operation. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was not... um, it, at, at a certain point, they were managing upwards of 5,000 plants. Wow. Wow. And this is back in the day when, you know, we were we were battling hard in the war, right? Absolutely. Um, when they were busted, they were hoisting trees up in, or hoisting plants up into the redwood trees. And somehow the cops didn't find them hanging up above them in the redwoods and throwing them down, hiding them in a, a neighbor's vineyard. So, um, yeah, it was all out, uh, you know, guerrilla style. Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, when you went to your husband and said, look, I think I, I, I'm, I'm going to really start processing this from a medicinal standpoint, what made the two of you think about, well, maybe we ought to get back into the family business? You know, it was an interesting emotional and relationship uh, transition because it's not necessarily a positive thing in the family history. Um, You know, when his father went to prison, that had bad implications for the family. And so it wasn't the easiest conversation at first, but at the same time, because the family had already been in this industry, it was also an easier conversation than probably a lot of people have with their families getting, getting into cannabis. Yeah. And, and we're both entrepreneurs, so we're used to taking totally risky moves and doing crazy things where you have to spend 24 seven attending to that business Um, And, you know, for me, I wanted cannabis changed my life completely. When one of the times I was in the hospital every three, three or four months, I was on a cocktail of prescription medications that were not only not helping me, but they were giving me horrible side effects. My life was just deteriorating. And one of the times I was in the hospital, the ER doctor said, try cannabis if you feel comfortable with that. And it completely changed my life. I had already been a recreational user, but I had never tried it for medicinal reasons. And at that moment, I needed to be part of this industry. Um, And so, you know, my husband is incredibly supportive. Um, You know, he has been part. It's been part of his life since he was a little kid. So uh, we just went for it. Wow. And that's what made you start. Astra Farms. Tell us a little bit about what differentiates you and, you know, what are the priorities of your company? 
So at Aster Farms, we are a sustainable cannabis brand. Um, and by that, we don't just mean sustainable in the sense of our packaging choices and our agricultural choices, but also in terms of our relationship with our community and creating a sustainable employment environment. Um, and so we really care about being stewards of the earth, creating careers, not jobs, um, and really being a community company. Um, we're a family-owned company. I mean, we do have investors, but we are a family-owned company. Many of those investors are actually family members. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's about building a company the right way. Um, and a lot of that means making choices that are harder than going other routes. Um, for example, we grow our own cannabis. A lot of cannabis brands in California, they source their cannabis from other growers. Um, we chose to grow our own so that we could control our genetics. We could control the quality. We could provide transparency to the consumer about how we're growing it, what we're putting in it. Um, and we grow outdoors in ground and living soil. It's the hardest way to grow cannabis, but we believe it produces the absolute best cannabinoid and terpene profiles, um, and that creates the best effects that our consumers can have. And you take care in, in you know, mining the soil, I say mining, but take care of everything from soil preparation. You don't do um, any tilling and things like that, correct? Correct. So we are no till. Um, we use a spading machine and a disker, which basically fluffs the soil. We've done broad forking in the past, which is truly the um, traditional hundreds of years ago way of, of aerating. Um, we use cover crops. So we are doing everything we can to um, only carbon sequester and not um, create any kind of environmental damage. And you use natural pesticides, natural bugs, things like that, right? Exactly. So for pest control, we're using all organic inputs, um, all organic materials. We bring in hundreds of thousands of predatory insects every year that are native to our region. Um, we have a mouser cat who takes care of other types of pests for us. So, you know, we are trying to create an ecosystem that is really maintaining itself as opposed to coming in with chemicals and solving one problem and creating another. And the, the area that you grow and talk a little bit about the region that you're growing in. Find out very so interesting. We yeah, we grow in Lake County, which is just north of Napa and just east of Mendocino. And so the climate is actually a little bit higher and drier than Mendocino and Humboldt, which is where a lot of cannabis is traditionally grown. And that, that means that we can have a longer season. And a longer season means that we can grow um, stronger sativa plants because they take a little bit longer. Um, they're a little bit more delicate to grow. So our climate is really ideal for cannabis. It's a very Mediterranean climate. Are you staggered in growing or are you, I mean, you've got a 14, 15 week growth cycle. So are you staggering harvest or are you growing one harvest this season? What are you doing? So we have a whole combination of ways that we grow. Um, we've been experimenting with something called ruderalis or more commercially known as auto flowers. And those are a type of cannabis that are originally from Siberia and they only have an 80 day cycle. 
So basically, the moment they go in the ground, they start vegging and flowering at the same time. So they're really small plants. They're maybe two feet, maybe three feet tall. So you have to grow a carpet of them. But you're able to get a season ahead of when you would have your big outdoor. So we plant auto flowers in March. We harvest them at the beginning of June. And then right when we're harvesting those auto flowers, our full-term plants have finished being seedlings and getting ready to veg in the nursery, and they're ready to be switched out into the field. So the autos go in, and right when they're coming out, the full terms go into the ground. Um, but like you're implying, when it's full-term harvest in the fall, it is all hands on deck. That is a wave of cannabis coming through. Excellent. And then you do, do you do your own processing, or are you just uh, basically growing the raw feedstock? Do you have a, a lab, so or uh, uh, processing facility? So we do not do manufacturing, but we do process and we package ourselves. So we trim our product and then we put it into jars and all flower pre-rolls. We do have some hash products. And for those, we outsource to a really skilled manufacturer for hash. Excellent. Excellent. And then you then supply multiple dispensaries in your area or are you all over the state? We are all over the state. So we have a statewide distributor who helps transport our product all over the state. Um, and we are available on both delivery and in retail stores. And we're looking towards multi-state expansion as well. Now, if people wanted to, to be able to get a hold of your product, where can they go online to get more information? They can go to asterfarms.com and on there, there is a find us button and you can see the retailers that we're in and delivery services that you can order from. Wow. Now you recently, uh, your company recently released your 2020 sustainability report, which is something that's different than a lot of other, you know, uh, farms and growers do. Tell us a little bit about the report and, and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. So we wanted to really open up the dialogue about transparency in cannabis and start to really shine a light on some of the environmental impacts that this industry is going to have as it continues to grow. Um, There's really a big difference in the environmental impacts when you're growing outdoors in living soil versus growing indoors with various lights and fans and other electronic devices that have to power your operation. And so we wanted to shed light on some of these differences and hope that there can be a conversation about how this industry continues to mature in a way that is environmentally responsible. Um, Already in Colorado, which is a state that does not have a climate that is conducive for a lot of outdoor growing, so it really truly has to be grown in greenhouses or indoors, There's so much cultivation going on that the greenhouse gas emissions in Colorado from cannabis have exceeded coal mining greenhouse gas emissions in Colorado. 
And that's just not the direction that we need to be moving with any industry, but particularly an industry where we have the opportunity to start from scratch and build this legal market in a way that is responsible. So we wanted to also take a look at our own practices and use this as an exercise to formally reflect on what we're doing really well and where we can improve and find those ways. And, you know, it's been really eye-opening. And some of the things seem very small and trivial, but they add up in a big way. Um, From doing this report, we realized how many, we we used over 50,000 zip ties this last year that were just thrown into the garbage. And that's due to the regulatory track and trace program. Um, That's incredibly wasteful and that particular type of plastic that's even worse for the environment than some of the other ways that we're producing. So just being able to identify tiny little things like that in our supply chain, that we can then go switch out for some other material. Um, Those are the kinds of things that we wanted to figure out for ourselves um, to make a difference for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there is there is so much waste. I mean, we're starting to figure out now that, you know, the way we are growing cannabis, I, I was really uh, made attuned to this uh, a couple months back and have been digging into it deeply about the amount of water waste that we have and especially when it comes to the plastics and, you know, with California and Oregon, some of the regulations on, you know, childproofing just make this literally one of the wasteful, most wasteful industries in the country. Absolutely. The child-resistant packaging, first of all, the materials that you need to make something child-resistant are typically non-recyclable or only industrially recyclable. And they then turn a single individual pre-roll into this monstrosity of packaging. So, um, you know, we're hoping that this opens up a dialogue and more operators can start providing data. And that data can be a conversation that we have with regulators to say, look, we understand why we're being regulated this way, but let's look at the environmental impacts this is having and find solutions that we can work on together. Yeah, I mean, just, just so people understand, how does the, the, the cannabis industry's footprint compare to other agricultural industries in terms of waste, pollution, et cetera? I mean, I, I just was recently, I was, I was shocked the other day, I was watching um, a particular uh, television program where they were talking about in the state of California, you know, the almond industry uses something like 90 times as much water as you know, the citrus industry, which is really just phenomenal to me. But the cannabis industry is using more water than the citrus industry. So in California, which, sorry. yeah, so can- cannabis is a very water intensive crop. Um, And and California is an agriculturally intensive state. So 80% of all developed water in California gets used for agriculture. Only 0.003% of that is used for cannabis. But the reason that ratio is so small is that cannabis is a very small scale crop. It's a really high volume value crop per square foot. So where you need thousands of acres to grow the same value, and I don't mean financial value, but like consumer value of product, you need only an acre of cannabis. So I think everybody needs to be really understanding of how to be conservative 
in our water use, um, but also understanding that all of these products are very water intensive. And so how do we build solutions that allow us to continue to support agriculture, including cannabis, but that aren't as environmentally harmful as, as they are today? And those are practices, of course, you put in place at your farm, Master Farm. Correct. And that includes using drip irrigation, um, which is a very slow and direct form of irrigation as opposed to spray irrigation. It includes using cover crop and mulch to keep evaporation down. Um, These are things that are more difficult to do when you're talking about thousands of acres of commercial agriculture. But in cannabis, there's no excuse to not be doing them because we are small scale agriculture, even in our biggest footprint. Yeah, and, and that's unbelievable. You're right. I mean, I, but I now, do you also grow hemp products? We do not. We we uh, grow THC cannabis. Gotcha, gotcha. And of course, yeah, because of state regulations, you end up having to put zip ties or those ties around every single plant, right? Multiple times in their cycle. So when they are seedlings, they have one type of tag. When they turn to a, a full veg and flowering plant, they get a different tag. When they're harvest, they get a different tag. When they're packaged, they get a different tag. So it's a lot of waste. A lot of waste, absolutely. What, what is Astro Farms doing when it comes to addressing you know, the social equity issues that are going on? So we try to partner closely with our communities. We are making want to make an impact in our actual direct communities. And so we work with success centers in San Francisco. Um, it's a fantastic organization that creates um, programs, workshops, job fairs to help provide people with the skills and knowledge and networks um, to be able to get jobs in the cannabis industry and specifically focusing on people who have had um, been incarcerated because of cannabis crimes or had um, any kind of disadvantage because of uh, the war on drugs. So we are huge supporters. We support with both doing workshops um, and support with monthly donations. Um, We love them. We are really focused on hiring inclusively and creating a a community within our company um, that is promoting careers and helping people to achieve their future goals. Um, You know, I think it's really important to see employees as part of your family and as people who have um, dreams and goals and want to get somewhere in the future, as opposed to just people fulfilling a job. Um, And so that's something that's really important for us is supporting all of our employees with where they want to be in the future and making sure that the makeup of our employee base is incredibly diverse and inclusive. I mean, this journey has has had to have been, been met with some challenges. What has been some of your biggest challenges? I think the biggest challenges are the fact that cannabis is still federally illegal, and that creates all of these small challenges across our operational workflow. We can't work with normal payroll processing companies. We can't bank with normal banks. Um, There's cash involved. All of these things that other companies take completely for granted, like having your payroll processed properly by a normal payroll company, these are not necessarily things that we have access to. Um, Or that if we do are done by very specialized companies just for cannabis that are charging high rates. Um, So I think... The most challenging thing has just been all the small day-to-day normal things that a normal business would take for granted that are just made more difficult by being considered running a federally illegal operation. I mean, I, and, and please do not 
to take any offense when I say this, but you know, you don't look like the typical cannabis grower. You don't. You you, you look like you know the girl from college who works for Bloomingdale's. Okay. So I mean, how much how much effort are you putting into putting your face forward in conversations at a legislative level to make people understand that this business includes everyone, people like yourself, you know, where they have to recognize that it's not the stigma of the you know, the, the, those brown people or not the stigma of those, you know, um, potheads or, you know, those uh, dregs. This is normal. You know, you look like, uh, you know, any middle class housewife. And I consume cannabis all day long, every single day. Um, and yes, and I, that is something that is super important for us. Um, it is particularly important on a local level where we see the most taboos being exploited. Um, Lake County, I have been involved uh, regularly in board of supervisors meetings. And there was one time I actually raised my hand and all I wanted to say and all I said out there was we are not criminals. We are good operators. Um, anybody who is licensed in the cannabis industry, their fingerprints are in the DOJ and FBI's system. Every single one of our employees has to go through extensive background checks. We have surprise investigations and inspections by multiple agencies. There's no operators that are jumping through more hoops to be proper operators than people in the cannabis industry today. And the shame and the taboo and the stigma and the inappropriate ways that we're referred to, even just in the tone of voice by the ag commissioner is really inappropriate. And so I make sure to be able to be at those meetings and it's terrifying, terrifying standing up and saying, you know, I don't like the tone that the ag commissioner is using against us, Um, but it's super important for people like me to be putting my face out there and say, I, I smoke weed every single day, every single day. I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, if, if Joe Biden saw your face, Kamala Harris saw your face, they would probably have a different perspective on those who are cannabis users than what their general idea is of who they are. I mean, I, I know them, I know one of them and, and, I know that they have this misconception that we're still back in the, you know, the sixties and the hippie days and you don't represent that demographic at all. And it's sad that we have to have people like me representing that because those hippies are not bad people. The brown and black people are not bad. you know, it's, it's too bad that we, we have to do this, but it is really important. And that's, we are trying very hard to raise our voices and stand up and um, help break down the stigmas wherever and whenever we can. What would you like to see change? I mean, uh, you you just you hit on banking and some of the other regulatory things that are out there, but but what do you think that the the could be some of the best changes in the next year or so? You know, we're coming out of a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, and coming out of a pandemic attitude where people are starting to understand that the cannabis industry was one of those recession-proof industries. I mean, we probably have more success in the cannabis industry in the last year and a half than majority of other industries out there. But but we need to now get busy with the work. I mean, I think um, in some ways, some in this industry have sat back and, you know, rested on their laurels where, you know, we have plenty of work that needs to be done um, right now. So what would you like to see change in the industry? 
Uh, you already touched on banking and you touched on, um, you know, some of the predatory ways that other industries do feed upon the cannabis industry. But what else would you like to see change? I mean, there are still 40,000 people in jail today because of cannabis. Um, and that's just completely unacceptable. And that's being changed on a state by state level, but it's insane that it is not being addressed on a federal level. And so I think that that needs to happen before banking opens up, um, before the floodgates open with money. Um, first, we have to right the wrongs and set the stage for this to be as equal of a playing field as possible. And unfortunately, the way that many of the states have already set up their regulations have tilted it in favor of those with big money and big networks. Um, if you look at the New York uh, regulatory market right now, when New York opened, there were, there were 10 licenses given out to companies that had to raise millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars to be able to operate in the way that they were asked to in New York. So just because they're opening up licenses now and creating an equity program, there's no there's no even playing field in that state. So I think that we really have to start looking at how the equity programs have not been fulfilled the way that they were supposed to. I think we have to look at um, incarceration on a federal level, not on a state level. And then we can start to have those conversations about opening up banking, the things that'll make my life e easier. I don't need the things that make my life easier, easier today when 40,000 people are still in jail. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about your products again. So we have all flower and hash products. Um, so we grow organic in live soil, um, both full term and auto flowers. Um, we have hash infused pre-rolls and we have hash as well. Our hash is made from um, ice. It's ice bubble hash. So it's a completely all natural, it's old school way of making hash. Um, so all of our strains have really complex cannabinoid and terpene profiles. And we believe that that comes from all of the beautiful ecosystem and microbes and microorganisms that are creating plant food in our soil, not just the stuff that we buy in a bottle. Um, and so what that does is give you a really radiant and complex high. Um, it's not the kind of high where you're hitting really hard up front and then it fades. This is a high that doesn't make you paranoid. It just makes you really happy and radiant um, or relaxed and radiant. And we think that that's the kind of experience that consumers are looking for. It's the kind of experience that I'm looking for. So. And again, if people wanted to find out more about you or find out where you are, give out your website. Asterfarms.com. You can find out all about us. You can download our sustainability report and you can see where you can buy our products. Well, Julia Jacobson, I can't thank you enough for being a part of Let's Be Blown with Montel today. You know, you always have a home here, anything new happening or coming about with your company. Make sure you reach out to us, let us know, and we'd love to have you back on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on today. It was wonderful chatting with you. Did I miss anything? You want to add anything? No, we are all good, but you are welcome to come visit us at the farm in Lake County anytime. Well, I think I'm going to take you up on that one. So start getting back out to the West Coast. Yep. All right. Well, look, you be well. You take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And thanks so much for being a part of this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.